Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I'm Mariah Rose. How you doing? I am doing very well. We are back from a recent mini vacation, and it went really well. Oh, it was great. Although, looking across this beautiful room at you, I am seeing that you look like you've spent the whole day driving. Yeah, I'm definitely low energy, so I'm hoping it'll pick up through the course of this episode not only from just talking on the road trip all day, so my throat shut, but also my brain is like struggling to maintain sentences right now. It's and okay. we're supposed to be like intellectually sharp tonight. I'm on it. So we're good. Okay. I'll carry you. I'll you... lift you up on eagle's wings. You can piggyback on my intellectual superiority. Thanks. I'm used to it. Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, we had a really great trip. We just went to Carlsbad Caverns, which yes. is in New Mexico. If people do not know what that is, it's one of the largest bat populations in the United States that live in these giant underground caverns. And you can go out during sunset and watch them come out and fly into the night sky, which sounds pretty cool. But I can't really describe what it's like unless you've been there and seen it because we learned shortly before they started to come out that there's actually half a million bats that come out and fly in the night sky. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, half a million bats? That's a lot of bats. Sheesh, how much time would that take for them to all fly out of a cave? The answer is, I think they're still flying out of the cave. <laughs> because we watched for over an hour. And it was really cool because they where we were seated, they were right flying right out like they swirl up out of the cavern and they flew over our heads in our direction and they just swirl and then go off in these clouds that look like you know a weird fog or mist on the horizon and they just kept coming for hours i'm guessing we were there for an hour and then it got too dark and we could just hear their wings still there were just thousands and thousands coming out in a stream nonstop. So I was completely unprepared. I thought it would be maybe, you know, kind of like a bad fireworks show. Yeah. A couple minutes, then we'd all go ooh and on ah and leave. Mm -hmm. I, no joke, was thinking two to five minutes max. And when we got to like the 45 minute mark and they were not slowing down, there were just thousands of bats flying out. I, I kind of just lost my mind. I didn't know what to think. It was surreal. It was really neat. They're like very delicate. They're small and beautiful. Um, it, it was just really pretty special, pretty darn special. So if you happen to be in New Mexico and have the opportunity, I strongly recommend it. And then this morning we went down into the caverns themselves. It was your first time, our kids' first time. And then we got this wild hair. So there are two ways to go to the caverns. You can take an elevator 700 feet down into the bowels of the earth, or you can hike down. And we were like, well, we'll just take the elevator down because we wanted to go to the Alien Museum in Roswell. <laughs> so we took the elevator down and then we were like, you know what? We really should have hiked down. Let's hike out. Uh... So we hiked up 750 feet straight up, which showed a di diagram that is the equivalent to the Empire State Building <laughs> with our two intense. children. <laughs> And we were the only people the entire time that were going up and not down. Yes. We even passed one guy who said, oh, you're hiking up? And I said, uh-huh, yeah, we are. 
And he said, well, you've got your work cut out for you. And then I looked up and it was just like a vertical climb. It was insane. It, it was switchback after switchback. And you would look back down and you would see hundreds of feet down into blackness and hundreds of feet up into like a receding blackness it just didn't seem to end but we did it our whole family felt like super proud that's why we're talking about it right now yeah because we challenge you you gotta do it <laughs> can you do it in under 30 minutes like us it, yeah it was scheduled to be an hour up and we did it in 30 25 minutes so <laughs> suck it uh, <laughs> no that was really cool and then um adding to the fun of the trip I, I had a really bizarre thing happen where a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago on Craigslist, I noticed a small advertisement for some VHS tapes. Uh, it was like one bookshelf. And they said, you know, I have some tapes. But it was in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I thought, well, I'm never going to go there. So that sucks. And then I remembered, hey, wait, I saw that advertisement. So I drove by, we were at our hotel, and I just swung by there really quick, and the place was completely closed down, locked up and empty, and I was like, well, that's kind of what I expected. And as I was walking back to the car, this truck slowly pulled up, and it was this woman who was very nice and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I just saw an advertisement a while ago about some tapes. And she looked at me like everybody does when I ask about VHS, and then said, well, I'm the owner we have a lot of tapes and I thought, well, that's music to my ears, but we're only here for one night. So she agreed this morning after we got back from Carlsbad Caverns to meet me there, unlock the building and let me go in to look. And I thought, oh, that'll be cool. There'll be like maybe two or three boxes and I can just look through really fast. I walk in and there's like 20 plus boxes and huge boxes piled. And she said, well, there's all the movies. And I was completely caught off guard. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, this is all the VHS. Have fun looking through them. And it was way, way more than I was expecting. And I opened the first box and none of them had covers, but they all had numbering systems and a clear case. And I said, wait, was this a video rental store? And she said, yeah, my mom used to run a rental store here in town and these are all the tapes. So I had struck what all VHS collectors hope for, gold of finding a completely untouched video rental store. The problem was two thirds of them had all the covers thrown away and were just loose tapes and plastic cases. And I am sure there were incredible tapes in there because the first box I opened, I found a bunch of good ones, but there was no way in hell we had time. No, we had a long trip. We had a long trip, but I knew I was screwed because I'd finally got my moment, but we had to hit the road. And she said, well, some of these have covers. So I would say maybe one third of them did have covers. So I got through those as fast as possible and still walked away with a massive chunk of tapes. Um, a lot of late 90s, early 2000s, really cheesy horror movies like Mosquito Man and stuff like that. You came out to the car like breathless. I Well, because I was busting through these heavy boxes as fast as I could because I knew you guys were waiting in the car. But I did find a big, big one that's been on my list called Millennium Actress, and it's from the director Perfect Blue, like our all-time favorite anime. It's the one that he did after that, So, and that's a very expensive tape. So we found that, and it's in mint condition, and I was very excited. But all in all, that was a surprise. And then we hit the road, and we, all four of us, were determined 
to not just head home, but to stop in Roswell, New Mexico, so we could see the infamous UFO museum. Would you like to tell people what that was like? Yeah. So first of all, we've lived in New Mexico a long time, off and on, never been. It's just one of those things you take for granted. So we finally were like, yep, we're going to do it. And you can imagine, it's real campy. It has huge segments on just movies and uh, yeah there's an alien autopsy obviously amazing um an alien in like a tube and then there's this huge it's like a spaceship with life size i mean who knows what size aliens would be but life size aliens and it every 20 minutes or so it plays music like meow, 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 meow. And they like they make those sounds and then uh, it shoots out a fog machine from under the spaceship. It's amazing. It was everything and more I had hoped the UFO museum would be. It really was It special. delivered on all levels. So if you're in Roswell, we highly recommend. It's like seven bucks to go in. It was Just so, go. so worth it. Yes. It was incredible. And we held back in the gift shop, but you need alien suspenders? They've got them. An alien, like, beer koozie, of course. Yeah, and an inclusion of Bigfoot for some reason. Yeah. Like, they they just threw him in the mix. Are they implying that he's an alien? Well, there's some implication, but my other favorite part was an impromptu art show on one of the walls Mm. where everybody could do alien-themed art, and Mm. my favorite one was a, not quite a dogs playing poker image, but similar of two aliens... A Native American, I think, mm-hmm. and Bigfoot smoking pot sitting in a cabin. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really good. I was wondering if it was for sale, but I didn't see a sale sticker. No, it's part of the permanent I think collection. I straight up would have bought that. No, I want to make art for it. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I wonder if I just made an alien painting and mailed it to them if they'd hang it up. I bet they would. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, long-time listeners, we rarely go on that long about our personal life, but it was a packed weekend. Yeah, we did it hard. I mean, this was like, all in all, like a perfect 10 for vacations. It was really cool. It, it was, was really good. cool. Okay, back to the podcast. So, welcome. This is Laser Graves. <laughs> this is your first time listening. Uh, you Every now time. Know, you now know a lot about us. I always forget to do the intro first. Where are we? Uh, we are a podcast about the 80s. We do movies and music, but we do events. We used to do events a lot early on. I was looking through our shows. Can you remember the last event episode we did? Hmm, no. It was our Christmas episode right before we took a long break. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was the Do You Know It's Christmas episode, which was probably one of my favorites. That was a good one. And guess what year that happened? What year? 1984. Oh, my goodness. Well, we are going back to 1984 and partially 85, I suppose, for this week's episode. Some of you may know about it. Some of you may not. This is kind of a broad overview. Broad strokes. We're painting a pretty picture. We're doing more of an impressionist painting rather than a photorealism painting on this one. Uh, You can go get real details somewhere else. We'll give you general details. You'll know enough that you can be real smart at a weird conversation that you're having. Yeah, we talked about doing this many, many times, but it was in context of a larger Satanic Panic episode. And then we realized this is too fun to not do its own episode on. So we'll do our best to summarize it. A little refresher course for those of you who maybe lived for it, through it or remember it. 
And then for those who have always wondered what the hell it even was about, it was a very weird time in music history. It was. And I think most people probably don't know about it. Like after a certain generation, I think it's just kind of lost. Yes, I agree. This week we are going to be talking about the PMRC, the Porn Rock Senate hearings. I don't even know what to title it. Uh, Tipper sticker fiasco. Mm. (laughs) Tipper sticker. I will, by the time this is edited and out, we'll have a more uh, put together title for it. But there's a lot to tackle. So I'm not sure what to even call it at this point. D. Snyder goes to the Senate. (laughs) D. Snyder goes to Washington. (laughs) That's what we should call it. Okay. So the year is 1984. And of course, we've got to start with Tipper Gore. Uh, mother, mother to an adolescent daughter. I didn't even bother to look up her daughter's name. Nobody cares. It's probably Tipperer. <laughs> Tipperist. Mother to adolescent daughter, possibly also named Tipper, just because I guessed it. Uh, she bought her the soundtrack t- to an R-rated movie. This is where it all starts. Tipper Gore bought her daughter the soundtrack to an R-rated movie, Purple Rain. Yes, and before we get into what happened next, when it the, the world stopped for a moment and started turning the other direction, <laughs> we should mention, we're assuming people know who Tipper Gore is. We have a very young audience for a lot of our listeners. Tipper Gore was the wife of the one and only Al Gore, who he, became vice president of the United States. Yeah, he was senator at the time. If you don't know who Tipper Gore is, you know how to use Wikipedia. Just go there. Good gravy. Gosh. Okay. Are you shaming our listeners? Nah. Nah, nah, nah. You're great. Wikipedia. But don't use it as a source in college papers. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> what? Nothing. Nothing. Just a pro tip. Okay. You can look it up if you're writing a college Brian, paper. we don't have to keep talking about sourcing Wikipedia. Okay. Tipper was absolutely scandalized when she heard the lyrics to Purple Rain, specifically the Darling Nikki song. Yeah, the Purple Rain soundtrack. Yes, yes. Yeah. Specifically the lyrics to Darling Nikki, which discuss masturbation. Oh, man, we don't want a teenager to know that you can masturbate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is really funny that this is what got her all worked up. Like, how dare somebody mention masturbation? And Darling Nikki is a jam, by the way. It wasn't like a hit from the album, but it was such a good track. It is. And also, reminder, she bought her daughter the soundtrack to an R-rated movie. So what did she expect? (laughs) Whatever. And what she does next is really outlandish. So she did what any other wealthy white woman with a powerful spouse would do. She joined up with other wealthy (laughs) white married women uh, who are married to men in power. She started a crusade with these ladies. So they ran with this. Well, because what we had was another one of these senators' wives, which they became known as, what, the Washington Wives? Yes. So we have Susan Baker. She's the wife of James Baker, the Treasury Secretary. Yes. So Susan Baker also was... Completely mortified. She didn't hear Darling Nikki. She heard Madonna's Like a Virgin. And when her young daughter said, what's a virgin? She could not bear the thought of explaining what a virgin was. Okay. Just so we're aware of what's happening right now. And I know we're already being sarcastic. 
I'm going to just lay this out in the front. I tried really hard to go in with an open mind as a parent and be like, I think they had the right intent. But as I dug deeper and deeper, I realized they were just bored busybodies who didn't quite understand uh, music and had nothing better to do. It's definitely a different time. Yes. And then we also have Pam Hauer. She's the wife of James Hauer, who was a Washington realtor. And I know realtor doesn't sound powerful, but in Washington, D.C., if you're a live in large realtor, you definitely have connections. And he did. And then we have Sally Nevis. She's the wife of Washington, D.C. City Council Chairman John Nevius. So we've got a power power playing group here. This strikes me as just straight up tennis country club gals. Yeah. Who like over mimosas in the morning said, ladies, I got a cool idea. Yeah. And they'd all jumped on it. Yeah. they. So as you said, known as the Washington Wives, they didn't just complain the way a bunch of Karens normally would. They're like, you know what? We're Washington Wives. We got to take this to the Senate. <laughs> yeah, this is going all the way up. But all we're getting way, way ahead because it doesn't get to the Senate yet. Like, no, no. It's got a long story before it gets there. No. So, you know, within uh, less than a year of Tipper realizing, shockingly, that Prince sings about masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dirty mind Prince. Yes. As though his track record was like clean prior he, to this. He's a Puritan. These mobilized mothers, they created the Parents Music Research. Resource Center, or the PMRC. So this was a committee whose main goal was to increase parental control over music deemed violent, sexual, having drug-related subject matter. And then they also just kind of sprinkled in the occult occasionally <laughs> we'll, we'll and like s and We'll get to the occult one because that's the sore spot with me, which makes zero sense in all this. And the group eventually expanded to over 20 members before disbanding in the 90s because, spoiler alert, they really weren't very successful. Yeah, but how they got their start was getting a couple big names behind them to fund it and be like, hey, we'll give you a little bit of money to get the the seed money going. Right. Yeah, they didn't. They had powerful husbands. They were obviously wealthy, but they needed like big money and big names. So big money being obviously beer, who is more in charge of the morality of America than a big beer company like Coors. Yeah, and keep in mind that one of the ratings that they're going to in the very near future try and apply to music is alcohol abuse. Yes. (laughs) And so uh, the Coors guy provided... I think he's the one that provided the building for him. Yeah, I think he also gave money. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Okay, so they had him and then they're like, we need a like really contemporary hot finger on the pulse musician <laughs> so they got mike love from the beach boys yeah he gave five thousand dollars is that but how much that's i think that's all he gave oh my goodness but it got the ball rolling so now they had a beach boy giving him a little bit of money mm-hmm. and coors giving them a place to have their secret meetings about how they were going to take down what would later be termed porn rock and this is really interesting so we have let's Take a moment here. Let's assess this. We have some parents. And as a parent, you know, I do think one of the gifts we can give to our children is to kind of protect their innocence for a while, like protect them from how dangerous the world is. But it's a fine line between protecting our children from how dangerous the world is to making it an impossible transition when they are welcome to reality in adulthood. 
And I feel like they just were like, you know what? We need to like vacuum pack, vacuum seal these children and just cut them out and let them go in reality when they're 18. It's very strange. Like, I don't know what the goal truly was. It's true. You know, we'll get into them later, but one of the real vocal, vocal, um, you know, champions of this whole movement in opposition was Frank Zappa. He really Mm -hmm. came out as like the figurehead in all this. And he would point that out. He said, you know, I have children too. It's the parent's job to monitor what they consume, but it's also the parent's job to allow your kids to understand how the real world works, because if you shelter them this long, they're going to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. to real life situations because they've never even heard of them or experienced them or know about them. And so there's an argument on both sides. And I think when I first started looking into all this, This is when I was still like on the fence about were these women coming from the right place and the right mindset. And they really were just trying to say, look, uh, we just want to know ahead of time if this is appropriate for children. Where we're going to see they lose me very quickly is not only what they're demanding of the record company, which is completely absurd, but also the groups they're singling out aren't what their children were listening to to begin with. So. It was very clear right away to all the musicians involved that there was an alternate agenda happening. Yeah. And that they were using the child, do it for the children, save the children. That is always like the catchphrase for anything Mm -hmm. to really uh, bring up other issues that they were having a problem with. Yeah. So you might be asking yourself, how did these women, these powerful, powerful women now known as the PMRC plan to combat these super scandalous lyrics that they were so very worried about in a country that allows freedom of speech in theory. Yes. So what was their big plan here? Well, their plan was initially to suggest options to the Recording Industry of America or RIAA. And let me say real quick, the RIAA is like a music uh, record industry trade organization that consists of people who create, manufacture, and distribute distribute music. And so they just wanted to make some suggestions, helpful suggestions. And interestingly, RIAA was located in DC. So they were very conveniently available targets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because keep in mind that this was not mandated from the government. No, this was a supposedly a private organization that was just making recommendations to the to the record industry. And it extended not only to the records themselves, but they also wanted it to be in all live shows and videos. And because they couldn't mandate it, the wording from the PMRC was voluntary self-restraint. Okay. Um, And what were they demanding? Well, originally, they just wanted an industry-wide rating system. And they were like, kind of like what we have for movies, you know, R, PG-13, that kind of thing. So that was kind of where they're in road. But they also wanted warnings on covers and explicit lyric albums to be stored behind the counters like their porn. Yes. So that's a little interesting there. So... Uh, In a broader sense, they wanted the industry to create a board that would come up with a solution as a whole to pressure artists to make their music more marketable so that the tippers of the world wouldn't have a meltdown if their daughters learned about masturbation, sex, drugs, violence, or the occult. Yes. And this is the rating system is where they lost 
everything. Like, this is where the wheels came off. Because I don't think that, as we'll see very shortly, the record industry wouldn't have necessarily been opposed to something of being like, well, I guess we could mention that this is maybe inappropriate for children. It's the rating system that screwed them because that is when it started to become censorship and it started to target very specific acts and not target others. So do we want to talk about the individual ratings? Yes. Very specific ones that they were saying need to be on every single record that meets this standard. I think we should talk about that. I should also think we should talk about some of the people that they singled out or the acts that they singled out. Yeah, and we'll get to the list. But uh, if we want to talk about the ratings, there were a few of them. I think that there were four maybe total. So the big, big one was X. If a record got a rated X, yes, it meant it was sexually explicit. And that was the bulk of what they were most concerned about. Mm -hmm. This is what they just could not handle the thought of musicians talking about sexuality. It was just completely More than violence, it's sex. Next is V for violence. So anything that promoted aggression or violence, you're not allowed to sing about that either. Mm -hmm. Next was D slash A for drugs and alcohol. Should definitely not be music with... And they kept saying, we're not saying that you can't sing about it. We're just saying that our children need to be aware and parents need to be aware that it contains these lyrics, which is very tricky. Like they're wording it in a way that seems like they're hands off Mm -hmm. and they're all for freedom of speech, but they are not. And we'll see that in every single case. And the last one, which was the most absurd, was O for occult. And why this one gets me worked up is as a parent, I will say if my kids put on music that is overly violent or overly sexual and they're very young i would probably go yeah maybe you shouldn't listen to that just yet we can have that talk in a little bit but over cult is implying that you can only practice certain kinds of religion it's implying you you can only be a christian exactly and that was another underlying theme of this was that it was a christian-based program pushing this because Spoiler alert, this is 1984. We are right in the throes of the good old-fashioned satanic panic and this whole moral meltdown of America. So there really was a much larger agenda at stake. And so the occult one gets me because we are supposed to be freedom of religion in this country. Why in the world would anybody not be able to sing about anything but Christianity? Yeah. Unless this was a Christian-based movement. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have to say, like, B for Buddhist, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, whatever. Yeah. C for Christian. So they had created these um, ratings, mm-hmm. which already pissed everybody off because you're already singling out very specific groups mm-hmm. and shaming them and saying parents do not purchase them. But they also went a step further and created the very notorious Filthy 15, Mm. which really rolls off the tongue. I want to listen to immediately you say the Filthy 15 you shouldn't listen to. I'm like, let me run to the store and buy all 15 albums. Yeah. And there's not a stretch to guess that that had that effect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that'll be in summary of (laughs) how this all played out for Washington Wives. Okay. I know everybody is dying to know if you don't already. And... I guess because we're having fun, we can talk about them. Let's go through the Filthy 15. Okay, let's do it. Because they are so obscure and random. 
There's no rhyme or reason. It is weird, isn't it? And it's clear like they're just trying to come up with samples of here's everything out there. The way here's where it already starts to get ridiculous and they're losing their argument is they worded it like this is what our children are currently listening to. This is what's being played on the radio. As I go through this, keep in mind that a small fraction of this were getting some airplay. Most of them nobody had heard of or were getting no airplay whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So it's very random. You know what? I just want to pause here and tell you. In the mid-80s, I was listening to a tape. It was a music tape that my parents, my very, very Christian parents bought me. And it was called King Kangaroo. And I still remember the lyrics to King Kangaroo, which would have passed easily through the PMRC's, you know, rating system. And the lyrics are, King Kangaroo, what's that in your pocket? There's a lollipop in my pocket. Lick it and see. Oh, King Kangaroo. Just saying. It's a little pervy as you read it as an adult. That would have been fine. And also, it's the way that they sing it. It's real pervy. Yeah. And this was one of the arguments from musicians was who's deciding mm-hmm. who gets to come up with these ratings? And are you going back into all of music history? Because keep in mind, the PMRC's yeah. demand was every single song recorded needs to have it needs to be reviewed and rated and who is deciding what's inappropriate and who is um deciding the lyrical content and what it truly means so they're going to get in the minds of every musician the interpretation which we'll also see is very problematic but i'm thinking back to the 50s and 60s when dudes were singing about 14 and 15 year olds and being in love with them like that stuff wasn't on the chopping block so yeah. it was already having problems, but let's get back to the filthy oh, yeah, yeah. 15. These are the ones with the targets on their back. Uh, we can all guess who public enemy number one was. Who? Prince. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Darling Nikki, rated for sex. Next, Sheena Easton for Sugar Walls, written by Prince, <laughs> for sex. And yes, I'm not denying, of course these are about sex. It's Prince. They also weren't targeted towards children. No. Number three, Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive for sex. Number four, Vanity, Strap on Robbie, baby, for (laughs) sex. And guess who else was involved with Vanity? Prince. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like they were just really out against Prince and all this. Um, Next up, we have Motley Crue for Bastard for Violence, which is actually a really good song. Next, ACDC for Let Me Put My Love Into You, (laughs) Sex. Not quite as good as Big Balls, but still pretty good. Right. Why wasn't that on the list? It was later. Yeah, I think that was later. Okay. Uh, We have Twisted Sister, who this is, boy, talk about poking the bear. Oh, yeah. Shouldn't have put Twisted Sister on the list for We're Not Gonna Take It for Violence, Mm -hmm. which is totally absurd when you know the song. It's so good. Next up, Madonna had to be on there. For Dress You Up, which is strange. Odd choice, honestly, of all Madonna's catalog for sex. Then we have the big heavy hitter, my favorite. Of course, Wasp is on there for Animal, and we'll just leave it at that title. (laughs) (laughs) But if you know the cover, it's Blackie with his classic crotch saw blade (laughs) codpiece on. It's just so amazing. But this was the one that was like their battle cry for the PMRC. They were like, do you see what's out there in the world? Mm -hmm. It's Wasp. And Blackie 
had a response to this when it came out and he saw he was on this list. First off, he was like, great, we could use the the press because we're not selling any records at this point in their career. And second, he said, anybody who takes a grown man walking around with a saw cod piece seriously has problems. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, then we have Def Leppard for high and dry because of drugs and alcohol. Can't have that. Then we have probably one of my favorite ones on the whole list. Merciful Fate for Into the Coven for the Occult. Who are just like singing about Satan and doing their own thing. But the bigger point is nobody in America, children, teenage children, were listening to Merciful Fate in the Tipper Gore household. Like... Why were they targeting this group of all groups? This is totally random. It sounds like they're like, okay, put your feelers out. We got to find something occulty here. Satanic panic. We got to freak out. And they it. got called on this hard. And this is one of the first instances is Merciful Fate because they, it was very clear with this list right here and this band on this list that they were they were looking specifically to find examples, mm-hmm. not actually looking at what children were listening to and buying at the record no. store. So it was pretty absurd. Then we have Black Sabbath for trashed, for drugs and alcohol. The very famous Mary Jane Girls <laughs> for In My House for Sex. So okay. digging deep here. Never heard then of Then we them. get another classic Venom for Possessed for the Occult. Can't have them on there. Mm-mm. And then Cindy Lauper for Shebop because it's about masturbation. Well, it is. Which is easily the best song ever written about masturbation. It is. Which Frank Zappa would later say on a televised uh, debate with one of the members, well, what's wrong with masturbation? Oh. And everybody started laughing. And the uh, PMRC member was like, uh... Didn't wasn't ready for that one. How do you publicly answer that? Can you even imagine if you're taking a stance and somebody's like, and? Yeah. Really sucks the wind out of your sails. So Filthy 15, yes, uh, all the things that they're pointing out are contained in that music. Sure. But who cares? It's music. And yeah. it's up to the parents to know what kind of music that they are consuming So this is where it's starting to get complicated because now they are singling out artists and saying publicly, do not support this artist because they are corrupting the youth of America. Yeah. So the PMRC is actually ready for battle. And in August of 85, nearly 20 record companies had already said that they would begin putting parental guidance, explicit lyric stickers on albums that would warn listeners that their ears might bleed if they purchased these albums because they would be scandalized um, by these explicit lyrics. So they're already agreeing, like, we'll do this. There's no problem here. Yeah, the compromise was, you guys are stupid if you think we're going to put ratings on everything because who's going to be the moral police here? But we will say, yeah, if somebody says a cuss word, well, there's no, that's not subjective. Easy peasy. Yeah, we'll just say, hey, by the way, there's cussing on this. And instead of just going, oh, sure, that works for us, they were like, not good enough. And they joined forces with the PTA, like the National PTA Board. Oh, yeah, they get, they get on. They're ready to like go to war over this. It's weird, too, because honestly, sounds like a job well done. As a parent, that's all I need to know. Am I accidentally buying something for my child, my like seven-year-old, that is going to have a, a lot of question and answer kind of conversations if they listen to the lyrics? 
I would like to know. That's great. Even nowadays, I would like to know if there's explicit lyrics on an album. I think that is fabulous. Great. They should have just stopped. Yeah. That's plenty. Plenty. Sounds like a job well done. And everybody should be able to pat themselves on the back and move on with life. Wrong. Tipper (laughs) Gore is not happy. She wants a Senate hearing. So the Senate did decide they would like to get in on this action and hold a hearing about porn rock. And I mean, of course they did. Wink, wink. What are the what else is happening? What sounds more fun? If you're in the Senate. Yeah. You're like, wait, we can hear we get to do a hearing about porn rock. Yes, please. Yeah, and this was inevitable because prior to the Senate hearing, the PMRC was amping it up and they were all over the media. Yeah. And, and that is not like an understatement. They were up everybody's butts about it. Yeah, they were on talk shows. They were doing like media blitzes on news mm-hmm. programs. And like there Coors were. Coors money. Yeah, with the Coors Foundation. <laughs> But they were having these live debates again. So let's bring in Frank Zappa and all this. Okay. He was not on the Filthy 15, but he was a strong, you know, proponent of saying, no way are we agreeing to censorship and this Mm -hmm. is not how it works. He was also really worked up about this whole thing that we can't get into, but look it up sometime. The blank tape tax, which was because um, home recording devices were coming out, people were able to start stealing music and recording it for their own use. Oh, like pre-Napster. Yeah, pre-Napster. But what was happening is there was a bill put forward that was going to basically say anybody who buys a blank tape gets taxed. But that tax does not, not a penny goes to the artists. All the money goes to the record labels. Mm. And so there was like this underlying scandal that was about to happen too. Mm. So Frank was like sniffing it out and said, I'm not going to have any part of it. So he started going on his own media blitz and going toe to toe with everybody and basically calling out all these women for what they were secretly trying to do, singling out people, going like a character assassination, basically, and saying, this is who we want to be making music for our children. And this is who we don't want. And this is Mm -hmm. how we're going to get it done. So it is interesting because he will come up later. So keep in mind before the Senate hearing, it's not like it just happened overnight. No, this has been building and building. It's a year. And now we're going to put together an entire committee to sit down and listen to this. Yeah. So by September of 85, so we started in 84, we're September of 85. Remember in August of that same year, the they were all ready to just put on the explicit lyric stickers and call it a day. Nope. September of 85, Senate Commerce Science and Transportation Committee held a hearing. And now let's... Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about that committee. (laughs) Let's first get into our supporting witnesses. So we know, uh, obviously, Al Gore had to get in on this. Yeah, these are the committee itself, who is supposed to be completely objective, like not to have any opinion going in. The point of this whole hearing was the women are going to explain their side of why the children are being corrupted. And then they're going to bring in some people on the other side to say, hey, this is why we don't think censorship is a good idea or the rating system is a good idea. Yeah. Who should make up this committee? Who? All the husbands of the women on the PMRC. And that is not a joke. Okay, so we have Senator uh, Pre-VP Al Gore was in there. Also, as a witness, we had Senator Paula Hawk. 
Paula Hawkins, who showed her like favorite scandalous records. And you know what I loved about this is that she had to like take the time to find them. I imagine she was out there like really searching or had her assistants really searching for what was super gross. And here's what they found. Uh, the record covers of Wow uh, by Wendy O. Williams. Look at it. It's fabulous cover. Yeah, she's Actually, awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're all great and not scandalous at all. Well, she pulls up Wasp, like we said. Of course, you got to show yeah, that. Wasp's self-titled album, Def Leppard's Pyromania. Take a look. See if you're scandalized. Also, we're in the era of the WAP. So um, I think none of us are scandalized by anything anymore. But take a look. See if these shock you to your core. So she brought up also the music videos for Hot for Teacher. And of course, we're not going to take it. She was out for blood. Not just like the music, but the entire culture and supporting uh infrastructure of the music world so yeah this is where she also like this is where musicians could see what was really happening because it wasn't just this innocent little let's protect the children from this album it was we're going after every music video every live performance everything now like we will hunt you down and make sure everybody knows that you are bad for America. But then we had like Susan Baker and Tipper as well as the national PTA uh, vice president Millie Waterman come in and speak about how it's it's just about protecting our children. So they'd like go for blood but then remind you this is just protecting our babies, our most precious resource. And they also brought in some like doctors uh, to support their cause. So they called in a music professor, like a random Texas music professor, Dr. I think it's pronounced Stussy. And he just kind of talked about how music has a powerful influence on people. And then a child and adolescent psychologist who I looked up had just gotten his PhD that year. <laughs> He came in to talk about how kids deify musicians and that heavy metal is like a religion. So um, also, even if it is, who cares? <laughs> yeah. So have you watched these Senate hearings before? Bits and pieces. Yeah. OK, so I watched them and it is. You watched them all? Well, I watched like the main bulk of them. OK. Yeah. Um, and what is crazy is what a circus it is. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where this guy gets up and starts reading lyrics to certain songs to say, this is how evil, this is what every, this is what's saturating our radio waves right now. Basting their brains of our children. And to show how absurd this is and why one of the arguments was that they are digging really deep to turn over every rock mm-hmm. to find the most like vulgar and offensive music they can find. They bring up lyrics to the mentors who we're not even going to get into, but people who know that band and punk rock and all that kind of stuff will know their whole point was to be as incredibly offensive as possible. And they're bringing up the most obscure band who is not selling any records and none of these people have ever heard of and presenting the lyrics as though this is commonplace in yeah. like top 10 radio right now. <laughs> it was so convoluted and twisted. Like they were working really really hard to convince people that this was 
what was normal. Yeah, it's weird to be like, I'm going to choose a really obscure band. If you look hard enough, you will find what you're looking for. And that's definitely what they were doing here. It's like if the average horror movie is Halloween or Friday the 13th, and you find the most like explicit underground German snuff film you can find, and you go, did you know this is every horror movie coming out in America yeah. right now? That's the equivalent of what they're doing right now. And then they're saying, this committee can help us in agreeing that we are the ones who should be watching every horror movie and deciding. That's basically the equivalent of what yeah. they're doing. It's crazy. Yeah, and I don't actually seem to recall how they plan to fund this endeavor beyond pressing it off on the music industry. Yeah, it like, was basically supposed to be on them to do the morally like high road. Wh- first of all, why would the music industry want to take the morally high ground? It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Um, so thankfully... We've we've heard from some of these witnesses. They're all full of beans. But thankfully, we have some super sweet people to push back um, as the opposing witnesses. Yeah, we have three people that were brought in. Um, a lot of people, surprisingly, just didn't even respond. Like Prince and stuff. It's like, whatever. Why would Prince <laughs> yeah, this respond? Is not worth my time. He's like, great. But they put together a group of three people who would come in and testify on behalf of supporting why censorship or the rating system is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. The first up was Frank Zappa. And he's kind of our middle ground guy. Like, he made some good points, but he also did a lot of damage for the cause because he was very sarcastic, like typical Frank Zappa, very condescending in his tone. And D. Snyder was pretty annoyed by him afterwards because he was like, that wasn't how you get through yeah. to these people. Like, that was the wrong tone. But one of the things that Frank did was talking about just how subjective all of this is and that who is deciding who is going to determine what is inappropriate and Mm -hmm. what's appropriate and how come they get to decide. Yeah. Are they, do we get to like watch them and like look into their background and see what kind of people they are to make them so morally upstanding? Yeah. And so it's interesting. One of the senators retort back to him is like, he's such a jerk about it. So you can tell... They already had their mind made up about Frank Zappa. Yeah. Well, the second one comes in, and this was this was the curveball, because they thought they had a home run. The committee did. They bring in none other than uh, singer-songwriter, pretty boy poster child, John Denver, your dad's all-time idol and favorite oh musician. Oh my gosh. Yes. My dad, you guys have no idea. My dad loves John Denver. He is like John Denver's number one favorite fan. And like he had to take a day when John Denver died. I know every John Denver song ever because of my dad. So, yes. Yes. So John Denver is brought in second. As the next, you know, person to give a testimony. Oh, snap. Because he is pure. Yep. Here we go. And it opens with Al Gore doing this whole, I've been a fan of yours for so long. And it's such an honor to hear you talk and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, go ahead, John. Tell us what you think. Yeah. (laughs) And everybody is shocked by John's response. He does not say this is a great idea. Instead, he calls him out for being absolute hypocrites about this because Mm -hmm. he's fired up. And you know why he's fired up? His own song, Rocky Mountain High, was banned from several radio stations because of people like this who said, 
This is clearly about getting stone. It's about excessive drug use. And there's no way we're letting people listen to this. And John says, it was not about drug use. It's about clearly you've never been to the Rocky Mountains and experienced the majesty of nature (laughs) and how beautiful it is to see a meteor shower. And he's going on and on. And you can tell the senators are just like, uh oh, this is backfiring (laughs) fast. And then he calls him on it and he says, how can you guarantee me, Senator, that if this goes through, you won't misinterpret more of my songs and get more of my songs banned from radio because you don't know what they're actually about. Who's making that decision? So they picked the wrong dude, the wrong clean cut guy to come in. Nice. He also brought up another really good point. John Denver said, letting children pick their own music, no matter what the content, allows you to understand where your child is at and be able to like have conversations with them. If you are a helicopter parent, and don't let them make any decisions on their own, you don't know where they're even at mentally. Like, And that's true. If our daughter starts listening to whatever, heavy metal or punk music, at least I know she's starting to lean a certain way or she's listening to like weird pop, pop music. That's like a gauge. But if I say the only thing you can listen to is what I've deemed okay... I will never know what's going on in my kid's mind. Oh, no. I think that's such a valid point. Like, I think the parental lyrics are important for, like, the 12 and under crew. But after that, your kid should be able to listen to it. And you should pay attention to what they're listening to. I totally agree. I really wish my parents would have been, like, more aware of the music I was listening to. Because I I absolutely agree with that point of view. If you look at... The music they're listening to, listening to, you have like tapped the main line there, and you know. Yeah. You absolutely know. Think about every stage in your life. There is, I, I actually have personal private playlists. Like, I have one that I'm not going to tell you the name of, but it's the music that I'm only allowed to listen to when I'm feeling um, sad for myself. And I've labeled it as such. But imagine if, as a parent, you could go, oh, they're depressed or, <laughs> yeah. oh, they're happy. Listen, look at their music. Yeah. And also, what's that going to do as a parent if you don't let your kids make any decisions on their own? Oh, good grief. It's, it's crazy. So that was John Denver. Precious. Then we get to our third and final act. And this is, <laughs> they save the best for last. <laughs> um, this is, if I, I don't think we have any sports fans out there, but if you were into baseball, this is like, Bottom of the ninth, this is your relief pitcher coming in to like bring it home. You're gonna Sports. get it. You're gonna get a strikeout right here. Because having no interest in wearing a suit and tie or anything, walks in D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. And all the senators too are really condescending. They're like, a twisted sister. What's a twisted sister? <laughs> D walks in with his gigantic poodle hair and oh. his shades. He's got his denim like sleeveless jacket. I mean like ready to go rocker yes he said he had zero interest in dressing the part and he was super stressed because he had stayed up working out this whole entire statement because he had something to say and this is the crazy part when you watch these senate hearings is d snyder is literally the rock star in this whole thing Mm -hmm. because he came not only super prepared but he called everybody out on what was really happening can you imagine that pressure 
It was crazy. And to see it happening in real time is like, wow, way to go, D. He does not let anything get by him. And I don't think anybody thought he would be the smart one. But he walks in and he sits down and he opens with calling them at their own game. He talks about how he's married with children. He was raised Christian. He doesn't drink, smoke, or do drugs. And now he's ready to talk about his rock music. And it's like he basically just removed their entire (laughs) toolkit. (laughs) What he starts to talk about, what really got him worked up, is not only was on the Filthy 15, we're not going to take it on there, which Mm -hmm. he immediately called out as saying this is absurd. It's like a cartoon version of a kid just rebelling against his parents, not letting him listen to music. Our 10-year-old loves that song. Yes. So and it's, much. And it was pegged for, like, violence. This will incite violence and make your kid want to, like, kill everybody. P.S. That video is awesome. It is awesome. But also because they got all worked up. The committee got all worked up about Under the Blade, the song Under the Blade. <sighs> and Tipper goes to bat and says... This is about sadomasochism and bondage and SNM. Who cares? All the stuff. Yeah, who cares? Tipper, we know. But here's the we one know problem. You love it. It's not about that at all. It's because one of his bandmates had to go do something like eye surgery and was super nervous about going to the hospital. And D. Snyder thought, this is great content. Going to write a song about people being freaked out about surgeries and hospitals and being tied up and not having any control over somebody coming over with a knife and being able to cut them up. Mm -hmm. That's what this song is about. It's about my bandmate being scared of surgery. D. says the best retort you can possibly do. And we'll play a little clip right here because you got to hear it in his own words. But it leaves everybody pretty much at a loss. Here's what he says. I would like to use this occasion to speak on a more personal note and show just how unfair the whole concept of lyrical interpretation and judgment can be and how many times this can amount to little more than character assassination. Ms. Gore claimed that one of my songs, Under the Blade, had lyrics encouraging sadomasochism, bondage, and rape. The lyrics she quoted have absolutely nothing to do with these topics. On the contrary, the words in question are about surgery and the fear that it instills in people. As the creator of Under the Blade, I can say categorically that the only sadomasochism, bondage, and rape in this song is in the mind of Ms. Gore. Okay, so, wow. (laughs) Imagine how Al Gore felt hearing Dee Snyder say his wife is the one who's looking for sadomasochism. <laughs> and that's not what this song is about and, at all. And Al just winks at him. Yeah. He's like, she found it. Uh, so it gets even better. After that, one of the other senators is super worked up and says, how dare you attack Senator Gore's wife? And this is what Dee's reply is. The, the vehemence with which you attacked um, uh, Senator Gore's wife I detected sort of a defensiveness some, somehow on your part. Why did you feel it necessary to attribute uh, some of the qualities to her that you did? Why, why was that important to your testimony? First of all, I wasn't attacking Senator Gore's wife. I was attacking a member of the PMRC. Okay, I was too... Senator Gore's wife by name. Her name is Tipper Gore, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, I didn't say the senator's wife. I said Tipper Gore, okay? This is like a double knockout punch because he just pointed out the hypocrisy of this whole entire sham was 
it's about positioning the power and the senators and Washington and everything else, not about the organization itself. It is a brilliant move that nobody was prepared for. And that was yeah. off the cuff. This was during the, like, after the... It was off the cuff. I assumed it was, like, one of his many prepared, like, retorts. That's really interesting. No, he had already finished his statement. And then this was the afterwards, like, the Q&A, basically. Mm-hmm. And he called him on it. And that's that was the final um, presenter there. Ugh. It just completely backfired. And everybody was kind of seeing it happen in real time was like, oh, what? It was stupid. And honestly, guess what happens? <laughs> they get parents advisory labels instead of a rating system. That's it's it. Exactly what already was agreed to before yeah. this whole hearing, which means what was the point of the hearing? What was the point of the hearing? That's another podcast entirely. (laughs) All right. So when the hearing concluded in November, so a month of this nonsense or. Well, it was a five hour hearing, but it was this huge lead up. Yeah, it was. It started in September, ended in November, but it was five hours total. Just lots of buildup. Basically, nothing had been accomplished. Not basically Nothing had been accomplished. Record companies record companies were still going to use the labels at their discretion, but without a rating system. That's it. They had already agreed to it in August. Yeah, and here's the dumbest part. The record industry only oversaw certain companies. Yeah. All the independent labels just gave the middle finger and were like, oh, whatever. And just kept going. They didn't have to uh, adhere to any of these rules. No. But weirdly, some retailers initially refused to sell any any albums with that warning label, which I think really um, shows the political temperature of the time because... These places like Walmart, they don't care about morals. Yeah. Not at all. They were worried about sales. So that tells us that the temperature of our whole country was really worried about these kind of things. Yeah, it's interesting. And it also shows why the musicians were worried. Because now that musician is being completely pulled off the shelf because some random person said... This isn't okay for your children. Yeah, but in general, the labels don't really seem to help protect children from music that's deemed to be explicit. And in fact, there are several people who say that it actually helped their sales in the same way that like being on a band book list does. It makes people go seek it out more than they may have previously. Yeah, let's talk about that because I was too young when these Senate hearings were happening You know, I had seen clips of it later on, but I didn't know about any of this. I was a kid. I was, though, aware when the second wave of this happened in 1990, which more people would be aware of, when the whole, like, black and white parental advisory label happened. That happened Mm in 1990. So this was not the same case. This was later. That happened with two live crew. Yeah. And I remember that. And I remember being like, oh, that's crazy. What happened was they got what they wanted. So now you've got this Mm -hmm. this big black and white sticker on it. And what they were not prepared for was it had the exact opposite effect. Oh, yeah. We are like in the throes of early 90s, like gangster rap. And the best thing you could do if you were a rapper was have the explicit content label on the Mm -hmm. front of your album because that meant like you were legit and everybody wanted to buy it. There are, I think it was Ice-T was saying, like, if you didn't have that on the front of your album, you were like a joke as a rap artist. 
So actually, Ice T wrote about this. Oh, in, really? In '89, and here's actually uh, he he took a little opportunity to uh, attack Tipper. Okay. In, in particular, yeah. And he said, "Yo, Tip, what's the matter? You ain't getting no dick. <laughs> You're bitching about rock and roll. That's censorship, dumb bitch." And he goes on from there. Okay. So I, I actually saw a episode of Oprah with Ice T mm-hmm. and Jello Biafra from Dead Kennedys, and they're on there as as guests uh-huh. talking about the censorship. And then there's members of the PMRC on there. And Ice T's this is when he's saying this, like all of this stuff. But also Jello, I want to quote him, or not directly quote him, but kind of summarize what he said because he also made a really good point in calling out what was really happening. He said that the PMRC was just playing on the fears of parents who are too, like, chicken to talk to their own kids. I kept thinking that, too. Absolutely. Like, why wouldn't you just do the research and see what your kids are listening to? And I think that that summarizes a lot of the satanic panic in general, Mm -hmm. is that they just wanted to completely overwhelm their children with saying what they could and couldn't do versus asking their kids what they were actually up to or why yeah why do you want to listen to this so as far as the effect though back in the 80s right after this happened Mm -hmm. the explicit label warning uh you know bands like motley Crue talked about it wasp they were like yeah we were super happy for the publicity thanks Mm -hmm. um it didn't really do much for their album sales if anything what they found was part of this agreement was just for a year what they were going to do was record companies were going to agree to do this label on the front um, voluntarily mm-hmm. for one year and then they were going to see what the effects were and you know what they discovered what the albums that actually needed those labels were such a small sliver of the total output of music that it amounted to hardly any albums actually getting these put on the label weird and the few that did went up in album sales because kids wanted to own them once they knew that the label was on. So it had a complete opposite effect. And then by 90, when you got the big parental advisory black and white one, that became the tipper effect, also called the tipper sticker. Mm -hmm. And basically bands were like, yeah, let's put it on our album because this helps with album sales. And that's what ultimately happened. And in 92... Tipper stepped down. She wrote a book somewhere in there about this whole thing, about her moral crusade and how she was saving all the children. She has more recently commented on it and said that it's kind of quaint because now we can get whatever we want on our phones. Yeah. So I guess looking back at this whole entire fiasco, I can sympathize with a parent being like, wait, what did my kid just hear? But I think where I would say the story should end is you sit down with your child and you instead talk about what masturbation is, or you talk about what anything is, sex is, virgin is, what a virgin is. You don't ignore them because I'm sure they didn't even have that talk with their children. They just immediately went to the country club and you were like, you're not going to believe what my kid just heard. Mm -hmm. And then take it all the way up to Washington and include your weird Senator husbands to try and pass legislation to censor bans that you don't like. This was 
it just completely was the wrong approach. It was weird. Yeah. Just talk to your kids, have those hard conversations and say, this is why I don't think it's appropriate. You got to make your own choice at some point. But here's why I think this is fine or not fine. Also, go to any public school because I can tell you I heard 10 times worse in any public school starting in like third grade than I ever did on an album. So, I mean, maybe their kids didn't go to public school. Any private school, same thing. You're going to hear it. It's true, but the effect is still with us. If you haven't noticed, because of you reading Ice-T's lyrics, we have to have a little E on this episode for explicit content. Absolutely. Bleep me out. No way, Jose. We're not going to be censored. (laughs) Okay. That's, but this is still happening. Like this is actual, actually got a legacy to it. Regardless, is that now people will see podcast episodes, and every podcaster knows that out there. Um, some podcasts embrace it, and they're like, "Hell yeah, we're going to have the e." Others are like, "Oh, we better avoid that." I. It's interesting though that we have to even acknowledge that how we talk on our own private podcast. You know, it's weird. Like, weird. this is our own thought process. Strange that we have to kind of censor ourselves. But that is the reality of what happened. And this is part of the larger 80s moral panic and satanic panic of all of our children are being corrupted. And it's all the fault of mainly heavy metal, really, is the the biggest cause of this. I think it's Prince's fault. But Prince, yeah. Prince definitely was like the Antichrist in all this. Oh, <laughs> he was the corrupter. Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Our Paisley Park Prince. Anyway, that is the PMRC. That's Porn Rock and D. Snyder going to Washington and taking on Tipper's weird fixation with sadomasochism. I think the morality police uh, part of this was really strange to consider. Like, there is, as a parent, you and I both know, like, a desire to protect your children from how gross the world can be. But also, like, just be good, be kind, and then that should be enough. Yeah, well, and that was Frank Zappa's whole point, was he was saying, guess what? The world is gross. The world is filled with bad people. Yeah. You can't just like stack your tape deck with rainbows. Like that's not the real world. Yeah. And he was saying that. He said, I want my children to have an awareness when they get out there and not be vulnerable because I sheltered them their entire lives. There's a really good valid point there. One last thing I want to bring up because we didn't even mention it Hmm. was another champion in all this that you didn't see coming like John Denver was Donny Osmond. Oh, yeah. He was on a news program where he was brought in, and they basically brought him in as another, like, pretty boy gonna support the cause. Of course. And you know who he goes to bat for? Ozzy Osbourne. So he says, hypothetical here, he's on the news, and he says, imagine I have a friend who's struggling and commits suicide. He said, if I write a song about my friends struggling and committing suicide... They will say Donny Osmond tells it like it is. He sees life as it really is, and they will not censor it. If Ozzy Osbourne sings the exact same lyrics, it will be banned instantly and pegged as part of this censoring Uh system. And he said, you cannot do that. And I thought that was really interesting that even Donny Osmond was like, it's a double standard. You're not applying it equally. You're just being subjective about it. It's, it's very true. And ultimately, like, what's the goal here? I mean, we do want to protect our children. But as a person who was raised 
extremely sheltered. I can tell you coming out of a sheltered upbringing is traumatic. It's really shocking and hard and devastating in a lot of ways. So I think that a more gradual introduction to reality, of course, give your children a protected childhood, but also prepare them for reality in as gentle a way as you possibly can. And I think music is one of those great ways where you can let them express themselves, let them see how other people express themselves, but not so much that it's a traumatic experience. Yeah, and I can, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, say as my childhood being the opposite of yours, that was not sheltered at all, I remember getting off the school bus in second grade and talking about Leatherface because I had seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Guess what? I didn't grow up to be a serial killer because I had parents who didn't say, serial killing is cool, you should do that. (laughs) Like, that's not how it works. Yes. So I guess, um, yeah, there's both sides of the coin. But either way, this was completely um, a misstep on their part. Yeah. Tipper should have... Tipper should have just hung out with her lady friends. Yeah, not the first nor the last time we'll discuss massive moral missteps in the 1980s. But that was this one. So we hope you enjoyed this week. Um, If you're really interested in it, go read her book or look into it more because it is it is pretty bizarre and fascinating. Don't pay for her book. Just check it out at the library. No, steal her book so she doesn't get any royalties. No. (laughs) Okay. well, if you like what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram at Laser Graves. You can check out all of our old episodes at lasergraves.com you probably should you probably should and thank you to all of uh, you who are listening and to everybody who's supporting all of our friends podcasts you know who you are you know where you're at and we will keep sharing their shows as they come out every week too we've got a good group here who tells it like it is so yes and <laughs> if, if you, you don't like it don't listen to it yeah go away also if you want to give yourself a very special gift go and let some bats explode over your head and enjoy their their wings but don't get peed on by a bat oh what a way to bookend it yep thank you okay <laughs> bye toads profesh bye